You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. We got a great supplemental for you and I'm really excited as John and I record this tonight. It is just a few days. In fact, the premiere right now, John, it's happening online. You could watch it. Uh, we're busy, but the Force yes. Awakens premiere is happening right now. We're, we're missing it for everyone else. That's right. We're, uh, we're broadcasting live through the Guardian of Forever to come back to the future <laughs> from the sideways past prime timeline to bring this to you. It's like we've warped around the sun and we've come yes. back. And yeah, oh goodness, I don't ever want to do that in a Klingon ship again. Um, no, no, no. Was, uh, we had to take our best guess. That's right. Well, strangely <laughs> enough, uh, you know, I. it's funny because... Uh, we're actually here to, we just gave a ton of great Star Trek references, but we're here to talk some Star Wars. We've got, um, you know, the journey to The Force Awakens been happening. All these books have been coming out that they've been doing. And, you know, I'm really excited uh, because some of these I think are going to be fun when we look back and we can see how they play into the film and others, I, who knows. So before we do that, just want to remind everybody at, that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all the shows online at trek.fm or, of course, we're a feature provider there on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. While you're in iTunes, hit us up. Give us a nice review or rating. Any of those things really help us grow the show, especially there on the regular feed and the special Star Wars feed. You can find us on Twitter, Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM, and of course the listeners only discussion group, uh, the Babel Conference. Just check that out. Type Babel in the search field or Click discussion on any of the menu bars there, and that'll take you right over there, and you can join in with everybody else who's on the Babel Conference, and good good conversation happening there about all sorts of things. So, uh, John, so these four books are titled Aliens, Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, um, and I, I think to set everybody's expectations, what these books feel like are... The Tales from Most Isley or, you know, the Tales from Jabba's Palace. That's yes. the vein that these books are in. Absolutely. Absolutely. The story of the side characters that either won't have lines or will be seen fleetingly in the background. It's it's sort of, I mean, honestly, it's that sort of world building that the expanded universe has always uh, lent itself to, uh, except for... With the journey to the Force Awakens, you're always left with the impression that there are, uh, you know, hints about the movie hidden somewhere inside. Something relevant that is going to enhance your enjoyment of the film in some way. Well, and and we talked about when we talked about perfect weapon, the perfect weapon, excuse me, uh, because there's a the in front of that. Uh, and so yes. if you're searching for it, that's helpful sometimes. But uh, it was... All of these characters we saw in that Vanity Fair article uh, and uh, Maz Kanata's castle, as well as some of the things that we've seen in the trailer. And they've picked out certain of these characters and they've written stories about them. And the first one here was called The Face of Evil. And yeah. 
John, you before we uh, on the other side of the bar before we started recording, yeah. uh, you had mentioned something about that one that for me was a little bit funny. Well, yeah, I uh, I had to keep looking up the title of it because I keep forgetting that I read it. Like when when I was getting ready for this, I kept thinking it was three stories that I read, and then I you know like I pulled it back up to like you know take a look at my notes. I was like, oh, that, that's right, there's a fourth one, and then half a day went by. And I thought again, it was three stories. And I was like, "Oh right, no, Face of Evil. That's the fourth one." So it obviously didn't make that much of an impression uh, on me, at least. Uh, I, I think that there are some interesting things that will tie in to uh, uh, the four. There's some clues about the planet that Maz Kanata is on. Uh, I think that uh, tie into stuff that we've seen. At this point, since we haven't seen the movie when we're recording this, tie into the trailer, um, the rainstorm that we see the Knights of Ren standing in, uh, because we find out that uh, the planet that uh, Maz Kanata's castle is on is subject to giant turbulent storms. Uh, so I think that's going to play in. Maybe that's going to wind up being a situation where our heroes get stuck in a place because of the storms or something. But what was really interesting was, I, I want to get your read on this. My impression after reading it was that this is the type of short, this is almost like a Twilight Zone story. It does feel like that. It, yeah. it was like, my feeling about it is, and, and, and since these are very short books, uh, and literally you know, 20 to 50 pages on an iPad, which is very quick, and some of the chapters aren't even full-page chapters. Yeah, they're like Dan Brown chapters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so I was with you. I it almost felt like kind of a Star Wars take on Frankenstein, because uh, that's that or or like you said, a Twilight Zone where somebody walked in for plastic surgery and it came out not the way they expected. <laughs> you know what? It reminded very reminded me very specifically of that Twilight Zone where the the woman gets her bandages off and they all think she's like we see her and by our standards she's beautiful, but then all the people around her are like freaky looking and they all think that she looks awful. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this story reminded me of. Yeah, no. I uh, I it, it it was a it was an odd story because it it, it takes place it, it really is about 27 pages i think on my ipad it's very quick and it's about a bounty hunter who betrays her partner and then uh the only way that she can find the opportunity to hopefully get away from everyone else is to get her appearance changed do some plastic surgery and these plastic surgeons in the top tower of Moskinata's castle, so very, you know, uh, Frankenstein-ish with it. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's even a dark, stormy night. Um, they turn her into somebody she doesn't expect, and it goes very wrong for her. And uh, that's pretty much the story, um, other than kind of some world building, I think, for that uh, yeah, because I planet. Yeah, it's world building for the planet, but also for the castle. Like, I'm very intrigued now to know what story beats are going to happen in that castle because we discover there's, like, I, I will we actually see any of this in the film is my question because there's a dungeon, there are specimens trapped in the dungeon, and these are two, 
you know what? Honestly, I I don't know if we'll ever, if we'll actually see these creatures or if we have seen them in a picture or anything. But on the cover for the story, they look like minions. <laughs> like evil minions. Yes. Well, minions are evil technically. Matthew, well, that's but. true. But I mean, like, they're... Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a whole yeah. other thing. But exactly. <laughs> these look like just the evil minions. Like the yes. ones that actually know they're evil and are okay with the fact that they're evil minions or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this... Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Evil minions. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this yeah. run... Um, what was most interesting was the fact that it takes place in Maz Kanata's castle. Yes, and, and the uh, and the planet has rainstorms. Yes, and and yeah. really, I think those are our takeaways from that one. There's just not, I, I there's no more I could read into it. I I, I couldn't get anything yeah. else out of it. But I think that's okay. I just it's a quick thing to kind of introduce a little bit of the world to us and the planet to us, uh, and make things feel, you know, comfortable. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and it was um, it's interesting because they're all of the characters are basically uh, they are aliens so that, you know, they stay true to that. Um, but it it's just interesting because um, I, I maybe one other takeaway we can get is that there's going to be a very rich, uh, you know, diversity of. Uh, basically, it's going to look like Java's Palace Part Two, if that makes sense. Like, there's going to be a lot going on in the background with with these types of creatures that are going to be very interesting. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. Uh, you know, they definitely have done the same thing that those Tales from Java's Palace has done, and it gives us those backstories of those characters you saw, like Elephant Man and whatnot that. You know, as fans, you may have just wondered, like, why is that dude there? Like, why are all these people there? Why are people having a slumber party at Jabba's all the time? This is weird. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I wonder if they have slumber parties at Maz Kanata's. Uh, you know, based on this story, I would not go to sleep in Maz Kanata's castle. But, hey, that's me. Uh, no, no, not with them looking for parts. Yeah, exactly. Not, yeah. Experiment. Experiment. <laughs> uh, they're they're looking for specimens for their experiments. So yeah, hell no. Uh, sure. Anyway, uh, the next yeah. the next story is all creatures great and small. And this one I I have to say is so whimsically fun. Um, it is, and I, it has some really interesting tidbits as well in it. And it involves the character that we all saw. It was in that Force for Change video, Baba mm -hmm. Joe. Uh, the the kind of strange hunchback guy with all the crates of animals on his back and the long neck and everything. And so it's really, uh, I think, goodness, it, I, I was wondering, okay, how are they going to make this interesting? But to me, this story was just, it was kind of like fun wrapped in fake e-pages. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just yeah. felt like a fairy tale almost like a star wars fairy tale it's it's fun uh now the the thing is there's uh there there is a question left for me at the end of the story uh based on the fact that there are two things he's telling this fantastical story the real story of how the death star got destroyed and 
the the one of the characters specifically said calls out that there was a Jedi there and that's how the rebellion destroyed it. And, you know, of course, Baba Joe says, oh, well, no, you know, that all depends on your he basically says that depends on your point of view. You know, that sort of it could be this. But, you know, he's spinning a tail to keep the kids calm. And it's because they're under siege. And his animals, quote unquote, supposedly uh, ward off the siege. But the impression I was left with coming out of it is that possibly on Jakku, there's some sort of protector that is at play uh, watching over the people there. And so it sort of tickles my brain that possibly they're dropping a hint about somebody who might be hiding out on Jakku. Probably I'm reading too much into it, but the way that the story resolves, I don't know. I was left with the impression that we might have just been given a, a big clue as to where Luke might be. You think he's on Jakku? I don't know, but I think it's possible now hmm. uh, because of the way that the story resolves itself. And this is one where I agree with you. It's whimsical. I think it's I want to avoid giving away too much about it myself because I think it's worth somebody spending the very short amount of time to read it because it is fun. And I do think it it leaves a little tickle of that type of question. Now, obviously, after the movie comes out, we'll find out whether I read too much into the story or not. And, I, you know, I'm willing I'm willing to exceed that. Yeah. OK, I could be reading it wrong. But that was the impression I was left with. It's interesting because I was kind of thinking that maybe they were looking for Finn uh, because we know he lands on Jakku somehow. Um, but the people that are looking for somebody are straight from the Clone Wars. Uh, the first time we ever saw them in canon was the Zygerian slavers. And I thought that that was so interesting to have them in... A, a story here um you know it just it's straight up straight from the clone wars and i loved that i loved that they were a part of this story and that they were the ones who had everybody you know in this hovel um hold up they have no idea what's going to happen to them and that's why baba joe is telling this this whimsical story or maybe not so whimsical story and Again, as we talked about uh, with our Return of the Jedi show, and you said this, you know, whether you like the prequels or not, the world building that they give us through the films, the Clone Wars, Rebels now, all of those things, they add so much depth to a, a very tiny, tiny universe that we had from the original trilogy. You know, and when you're going to expand yeah. this to what we're going to expand it to with all these new films and everything coming out, you can't not pay attention to that because especially, I think, the Clone Wars, they do it best because they go to all of these different planets and all these different cultures. And this pulling straight from that, I was like, okay, I know exactly who these guys are because I've seen the Clone Wars. So wait a minute. Are you are you taking the, the position that what what happens in this book is actually in the timeline of what's actually happening during the film. I don't know if it's happening during the film or not. I mean, I just don't know. Well, I mean, uh, if, because you, you said that you believe maybe they were looking for Finn. Well, I mean, because there's no... 
indication in any of these books when their real timeline is other than it's after Return of the Jedi. So right. my guess is is uh, it could be any time on Jakku. We don't know. Uh, so I, I just, I wondered if maybe they were looking for him, or, but it could be something completely different. It could just be that they raid, you know, these Igerian slavers, you know, with, with no empire and, you know, maybe a fledgling new Republic, they're back in business. So. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, the thing is, I, it's a, it's a perfectly valid theory. Like it, because I'm thinking of the the story, yeah, that that could work. Like this is sort of we see all of these characters in the background, and then this is what happens to them while we're off on another part of the planet, where they're while they're getting away or something like that. You know, like I, I yeah. think that's a completely valid read. Sure. So yeah, I, and and I just it was again it I that was the thing that really I enjoyed about this story was the whimsical nature of it and and the fun of it. But also just the fact that I immediately knew uh, who these characters were and and what was going on without them having to to do a lot of work because of the work the Clone Wars already did for me. So well done, you know. I just I think it's really smart um, for for them to use those references and and not just leave them on the wayside because oh they came from the prequel era. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're doing the exact opposite of what the marketing campaign has done, which is they're giving love to those of us that, you know, have loved all six films. You know, mm-hmm. like the marketing campaign has very much been around the idea of, uh, you know, the prequels. This, this, this is sequels. This isn't going to have anything to do with those. See, but everything has in, in the expanded universe stuff has tied in in some way to uh, to the prequels and the prequel timeline. So maybe this is, you know, I, I, I agree with you. This story is another example of that where they've they have given us the longtime fans who enjoy it all a whole lot to work with and a whole lot to enjoy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, this is an example of what they should keep working at. Absolutely. Exactly. No, exactly. I, I feel the same way. And, and so um, the next book is is interesting, John. Uh, it takes place on Jakku as well. Yeah. And it's a character that we've all seen hanging on the pegs, uh, which is Constable Zubio is the main character. Yes. And I thought that that was great, that, you know, this character I've seen hanging on the pegs I don't know much about is finally kind of getting their due in a story. Um, and it kind of, I mean, it, you know, it's it's aptly named High Noon on Jakku, and so I, it feels like a Western in space. I mean, that's exactly yeah. the feeling. Well, yeah, and, and it even does something that I've always enjoyed from you know, a, a certain trick that Westerns have always been known for, which is starting with a piece of the ending and then giving you the story that leads up to that point and then resolving the story. I've mm-hmm. always enjoyed w- when Westerns have played with that, when they give you a piece of the end and intrigue you enough, you know, like, and then they drew, and then it takes you back in time, and how did you get to that point? And then it skips forward again, and you find out how it resolves itself. And I think that um, they, I mean, they definitely, you know, with all creatures great and small, but then especially with High Noon on Jakku, they've given a real sense of 
the type of place Jakku is. Uh, and I, you know, it, it's, I think that they have gone out of their way to prove, not in a bad way, this is not a dig, but they've gone out of their way to prove that it's not Tatooine, to give it a different feel than Tatooine, and additionally to uh, give a sense of, a sense of place to it that you'll be able to enjoy the film and with the bits of Jakku that you see obviously on the film, but this story really will flesh it out more. We'll, we'll give more of a sense. And I, there's even a line in this one that, or I might be mixing them up because I, I don't know whether it was in this one or in the, the one remaining one we haven't talked about yet where somebody has a throwaway line that more of these desert planets are showing up in the galaxy that like more is happening where more and more planets are either ending up like this or they're, you know, are, or are like this, you know, like was that in this story or was that in one of the other ones where they, they had a throwaway line like that, where Jakku is like a bunch of other desert planets that they've been finding or the way other planets have gone. Oh gosh. Um, it's easy to get these mixed up again because they're such short yep, stories yep. and I read them boom 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 yep, me too. Like all in exactly. a row. Exactly. And I honestly can't remember. It is one of them and I will say that's okay. You can that's we don't need to tell everybody all sure. about it. Yes. But no, that was a great point about um that there was something causing a lot of planets it seemed like to go the way the desert and that was a, a strange line to me because it, it gave, you know, it, it was almost like some strange ecological type message, but I don't know how that fits in yet, you know? And or so, does it play into something the Empire is doing? Exactly. Uh, maybe yeah. it has to do with that Starkiller base. Who knows? Spoiler alert. Spoiler so, alert. I'm just I'm just guessing from what's on the freaking <laughs> poster on my wall these days. So, um <laughs> Well, by the, the time poster this, is literally on my wall now, so by the time this episode drops, we'll it's all not know. A spoiler anymore? Actually, that's not true because this uh, I'll uh, be dropping Am I getting this mixed? as soon as possible. You know, so. I gotta stop time travel. That's yeah. the thing that's killing me. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, no this this was a, a fun story, and again, uh, some interesting prequel thing here uh and an original trilogy all at the same time was yeah. the the underworld aspect of somebody trying to steal money and we've seen that in both of the the trilogies um you know the the smugglers the underhanded deals um but this one was funny because it specifically was somebody taking money through bank transfers Yes. Which, again, so prequels. Yeah, very prequels to be worried about the banking. Absolutely. And possibly a hint about how the Empire was funding its operations uh, over time. Like, you know, because, I mean, we do live in the era where all of us want explanations. Maybe they've dropped a hint here that the Empire was doing a bunch of these shady banking transactions. And that was how they stayed funded to build their nameless bases and fancy tie fighters with racing stripes well it costs a lot 
to to paint the tie fighters with the white panels and and then well that's what nobody realizes is there are the exact same tie fighters that were left over they just painted them they just repainted them. i mean you you want them to look different right but you you (laughs) need them to uh yeah you just don't want people to know we just kind of took them uh from the old empire so yeah exactly exactly it, it's um yeah I like this story and and we haven't talked too much about it because I definitely think it's one of those it's just better if you read it mm-hmm. but what is interesting here like you said is again we're on Jakku and it's just kind of setting the stage for what Jakku is like which is kind of a lawless place you know even though there are people trying to enforce the law it it feels it's almost as if the whole place is a wretched hive of scunnaman villainy. You know what, though? I'll take it a step further. The whole place feels like Tombstone. It, it does. It, it feels like uh, Tombstone from the movie Tombstone. Yes. And Constable Zuvio. I'll be a Huckleberry. Yeah, but he fe- he feels like uh, like a Wyatt Earp type character. You know, or like because uh, you know Kurt Russell in that in that film. You know, like whenever a gunfight, it's oh hell, like he doesn't want to get in the fight. But he's mm-hmm. got to serve truth and mm-hmm. justice uh, anyway. He reminds me of like Rooster Cockburn, the, the old John Wayne film, you know, uh, True. Oh, is it True Grit or it's one of the other yeah, ones? Yeah, Cockburn is True, get, true yeah. Grit. Yes. So, but his version, um, he yeah. just, he really feels like that. Where he's like, he doesn't want to be involved, but he gets dragged in, you know, and. Yeah, I like yeah. that. He's like uh, so. Zuvio could be the John Wayne of Star Wars. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty well, awesome. And this is this is sort of the debate. These two stories back to back is uh, some people. I feel that Peg is playing Zuvio. That's my my inclination is that Peg Simon Peg is playing Constable Zuvio. Others huh. have you have said I think that he's playing. Uh, 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 why, why is his name escaping me? We just talked about him on All Creatures Great and Small. Uh, uh, Baba Joe? Baba Joe. That would be kind of funny. Yeah. I, I. So he, I think he's one of the two characters because I know he's a character that's on Jakku, but I think he's going to be Zuvio. Uh, that would be, that would be fine with me. You know, I mean, it, it, honestly, any time that Simon Pegg is more covered up in the film, the better. So, oh, um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh come on! Not a fan just of he, the pig. J- just because he's a prequel hater is yep. no reason to hate his talent. Uh, anyway, it just kind of bothers talent. me. It just bothers me. You oh, know, you got just, every right to be bothered I, by I, it. Yeah, you know. I don't like his prequel hate either. You know mm-hmm. that. Okay, let's get to the big one, John, because yes. uh, this book is called "The Crimson Corsair." And the Lost Treasure of Count Dooku. Yes, that is yes. a mouthful right there. But this is the book. I think it just it it it. I'm glad I read it last because it's the one that sets the bar for all of these. It's incredible. Uh, I agree with you. This is the one where I had the real laughs uh, during the the story itself. Like there wasn't anything where I was like, "Oh, that's cute. Oh, that's silly." Through the entire thing, I was getting real laughs out of it. And when they go on that hunt for the treasure, and I again, I, I'm, I'm trying not to give away too much or anything, but when all of the pirates go on the, the, the 
you know, the pursuit of the treasure and they're all racing each other to it. It is such a gleeful uh, experiment with, you know, what you can do in Star Wars to evoke that old pirate feeling. Hey, and this we're going to spoil this one rotten because I think we need to talk oh, about this stuff. Okay. Uh, this one has sandworms. So if you ever thought that Lucas had ripped off Dune with Star Wars, well, this writer does by giving us sandworms yeah, on well, a desert planet. Yeah, and, and Frank Herbert felt the same way. Uh, but, uh, you know, the the thing that I really give credit for is the, the, like the, the ocean of sand. The fact that it's like an ocean of sand with, yes, yes. with like sand tornadoes and whirlpools and lightning. Like this was an example of somebody coming in and just saying, you know what? Imagination rules. And yeah. playing by the same sort of thought processes that that really informed Lucas when he was making these films, which was, yeah, it's whimsical. Sure, it can happen. Okay. And just doing it. And th this was... I think also a great exercise in description because it this was the most vivid planet for even though Jakku there's world building that goes on and even though we spend time at Maz Kanata's castle this one was the one where I could see it happening in my brain and so want it I want to see this on screen this is the one I want to see on screen whether it's animated or whether it's CG with a bunch of live actors. This is the story. This is the one I want to see up on screen because in my head, it was so much fun. Not only that, I, and, and you are exactly right. I mean, the, the descriptions here, even the brevity of the language adds to the humor and the fun yep. of it. Um, the way that he just describes somebody being taken out uh, is just hysterical. Um Every time somebody gets kind of taken out is is fantastic uh, because he has kind of this really fun way of of writing it as if and this is how their story ended, you know, uh, and there ended the story of, you know, so and so it was. Just, yes, it was awesome. It was so funny. And on top of that, this is the one that has some serious implications for what might come and, and what might happen with any kind of prequel connection in, you know, this new trilogy. This was really fascinating, and especially as we've been reading the Thrawn trilogy, John, it was interesting to see a clone show up. Yeah. yeah and in specific, a clone that we know from the Clone Wars series. Like, we know him. He was in, actually, a couple of pretty major plot lines, and uh, to to have him to have him be the treasure was so interesting as well because I think that it works whether intentional or not works as a commentary on the fleeting nature of our arguments in war and in of our you know the the fleeting nature of disputes that cause the problems I think really is embodied by the fact that you know the treasure was information and by the time it's found it's useless you know like it doesn't work out <laughs> that's so funny you know i hadn't really thought of that idea but it is very true because the thing that 
Dooku was so worried about was this clone, uh, Kix. He's he's in a few of the Clone Wars episodes, and he's one of them who had been able to take the chip out of his head, and uh, Dooku is able to, you know, we saw the the Clone Wars lost missions about this, and he had been able to get his hands on one, and they'd be able to rescue him, but Dooku is finally able to get his hands on one and was racing it back to somewhere, we don't know where, when this Separatist cruiser crashed. And, of course, he never got that delivered. And so, but the fact that they brought in a clone, one that we knew from the Clone Wars, specifically like a clone we saw on screen, and... We're okay with using that as a reference. I was just floored and flabbergasted and beyond excited to get because depending on when this story takes place, he's a viable clone still running around in this time period. That's crazy. Well, keep in mind as well that uh, this ties into Smuggler's Run, Rucka's book about Han and Chewie. There's a clone in that one as well. So the clones have not been forgotten completely. And again, it ties back into the fact that the expanded universe is giving the love to those of us who enjoy the whole series. And like, I, you know, the impression I was left with is first and foremost, it's funny that the Crimson Corsair is, you know, he is of the same, um, the, the same race as uh, uh, General Grievous. But also the fact that the clone is now working with him. I'm left with the impression, I kind of hope, that we could see another story with these two. Like, we could see a Crimson Corsair follow-up. That would be fun. Oh, I, I think the Crimson Corsair and his gang with the clone would be a storyline I would love to follow. I mean, there's immediately more for this story going than anything I care about, about like a, a Boba Fett film. Like this is just this. I I don't know. There's just something about it that everything fits together and it Mm -hmm. feels fun. And I just, I love it. I I would love it for there to be a series of E stories because obviously we're, you know, this kicks off a five year cycle that we're going to be in where it's going to be star Wars wall to wall. This is, a set of characters I want them to I every six months to a year I want to check back in with these characters and find out you know maybe they can use it to fill in a gap as to what's going on between episode seven and episode eight give us a clue there and tie it in with these characters which then ties it into the greater you know mythological tap blah 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 I think this is their great opportunity this is their in to have a, a consistent way to keep building the world in the margins between episodes seven, eight, and nine. And I think it's such a smart idea. You know, there's, there really is so much to tell. And I think that's one of the things, you know, that we did, we learned from the Clone Wars is that there are so many stories that you can tell and so many side places that you can go. And, they make for great, enjoyable stories, you know. Um, and I, I, for me, it's it's something too that I, I get tired tired of of hearing people talk about 
the difference between the Clone Wars and and the and Rebels and stuff, and how Rebels is better because you know they're they're on one trajectory and they're not bouncing around all the time, and it's more linear and it makes sense and all this stuff. And I just I think to myself, you know, it, the beauty of the Clone Wars was this expansion, you know, of the universe in a way that we'd just never seen before and and it was George's way I think of saying and we I've talked to Nick about this Nick Anastasio when we we interviewed him about the Clone Wars which he worked on with George and Dave as an editor Clone Wars was saying this is Star Wars and Star Wars is bigger than you thought it's more surprising than you thought there's more to it than just what met the eye in the original trilogy or even in the prequel films. So I love that these this book specifically really expanding that universe by also playing with some of the fun things from the past. It weaved it all together in such a way it just felt completely natural. And that's the best part. Yeah, I agree. Well, John, you know, I, I don't. We don't need to belabor the point. We're excited about the Force Awakens coming out. Uh, I hope that you have enjoyed the coverage that we've had of the journey of the Force Awakens. We actually have a book that John and I will both be reading. It's coming out on the 18th. Uh, it's a story about Poe, Finn, and Rey. Uh, yeah. It's one of the smaller books, kind of like we had with Smuggler's Run or Weapon of the Jedi or Moving Target. And so uh, we'll be covering that as soon as we can for everyone because I think that one's going to be a lot of fun. And especially after we've seen the film and we get to read this book by Greg Rucka, who John and I both really liked, especially with Shattered Empire. Yes. Um, so I, I can't, we can't wait to do that for you guys. Um, and uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody. Really appreciate the support that you've given us, especially with the Star Wars feed and, and giving us um, – the feedback and the, the reviews and the ratings and please help us continue to grow in that way help other people find the star wars feed and the 602 club in general with those star ratings and reviews on itunes uh this show wouldn't be possible without our associate producers through patreon ken Tripp and davis grayson i really appreciate these guys they're fantastic and then of course you can join the team just like they did through patreon.com slash trek fm you see uh, Trek FM is a listener-supported network. We're a lot like, and if you want to think about it, we're like PBS in that way. We try not to have any ads or anything like that taking away from our content. We just want to give you the best quality content we can, covering all of Star Trek and beyond as the new film will come out this uh, next year. We've got a new series coming out with Star Trek. And then, of course, covering all the things we do in the 602 Club. So see how you can become part of the team at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, uh, John, uh, before we get out of the 602 Club, uh, remind everybody where they can find you online. And then uh, I know you have a couple of other projects that you do as well podcast-wise uh, here on the network and elsewhere. Yes. Look for Kessel Junkie. That's who I am pretty much everywhere and after force awakens comes out my uh, self-imposed uh, social media ban will end so you'll see me there again uh and you can also find me here on the network on commentary trek stars where uh mike schindler teaches me a young lad about the mysteries and vagaries of the film industry uh and we're spending this season the final season of commentary trek stars uh getting ready 
for Star Trek Beyond by studying the work, the non-Star Trek works of all of the creators who are making the new film. And you can, of course, find me on Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig, where we act the fool all the time. Well, everybody can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram, where Trek FM is now, uh, at MRushing. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. I'm also, of course, doing Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also get a chance to interview the authors, so be sure to check that out. And then I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. And uh, just in case you're looking for all the Star Wars shows, be sure to check out trek.fm slash Star Wars. We've got a special page right now as we go towards The Force Awakens. And thank you, everyone, for being here. And may the Force be with you. 